Hello and welcome to episode 34 of the MTG Complex Cast. My name is Steven, I'm joined by my co-hosts John. Hello. And Chris. Hey. And in today's episode, we'll be going over the second part of our two-part series, which is uh, talking about name card effects. Uh, and today we'll be focusing specifically around Cabal Therapy. Uh, but first, let's kick things off with our weekly roundup where we talk about what decks we piloted and what decks we played against this past week. Chris, let's start with you. Uh, so I played Spaghetti Stompy. Uh, some of you may know it more as uh, Moldrazi, but uh, I think Spaghetti Stompy is a far superior name. Moldrazi, wow, what a great <laughs> name. I've not heard that one. Um, and I went to 2 1 and 1. Uh, I ID'd in the last round. OP decided he had better things to do than play magic for another hour. So he wanted to draw, so I was like, okay, fine. Uh, turns out he was playing while we taking turns, which probably um, dumpsters all over what I'm trying to do very, very badly. So I'm not really too upset about that one, I suppose. <laughs> Chalice on one? <laughs> turns out uh, the deck that's tapping out every turn is very bad against the card exhaustion. <laughs> yeah. Um... Although I did play against a standard dinosaur deck, that was very interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I almost got uh, galted, but <laughs> but I was able to TKS out of his hand the turn before he was going to play it. It's like wow. turn five Registrar Alpha, turn six Galta kill you, right? I think it was like a turn. Well, he didn't actually have the Registrar Alpha, so no haste. But it would have been, I think, like a turn five Galta or something like that. Yeah, Still I got, pretty, I got to see scary. him blow someone else up, which is pretty funny. Um, playing against Amulet, lost close games. I had many outs, never drew them. Uh, and then I absolutely just did, trashed. I'm sorry. Mardu. Did, are we just gonna are we just gonna roll by here without making fun of him for losing, I was I was I was I had to watch it. It was some it was cosmic justice unfolding in front of me. <laughs> so okay, like game three, he has a, one too many plants for me to attack for lethal. So literally any like reality smasher would kill him. Any removal spell in my deck would kill him. I had a uh, ratchet bombs in post board, um, just for plants. Like I had a ratchet bomb in my deck for that. Uh, I had gut shots in the deck, uh, special contortions. You know, I had many many outs. And then uh, after I died, I looked at the top cards of my deck, and I had lands for the next eight consecutive cards. Oh, so there you go. Not even Make close, up your mind, Chris. You're, like, complaining about not having lands last week, this week, too many lands. Make up your mind. <laughs> never lucky. Hashtag um, never lucky. Yeah, I just trashed Mardu. It was... I almost felt bad. Almost. Almost. And you remembered. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out Chalson 1's pretty good against them. What? Um, his yeah. uh, game 1 draw consisted of, like, 8 1-drop spells and then a bunch of lands. So I guess he got to cast a Lingering Souls, perhaps? Or maybe not, I don't know. He just kind of dumped things in the Chalice in case he drew Bedlam Reveler, and he never did, so he just died. And then uh, game two, I boarded in 14 cards. Jesus Christ. And boarded out all of my Chalices, among other things. And he just got browned. So he has turn one pass. I'm like, okay. This Relic Excellent. of Vagenesis is not getting positioned. Excellent. Turn one Relic of Vagenesis pass. A He's hard like, okay. Uh, second turn, taps off for Young Power Master. I'm like, end of your turn, gut shot it. Oh. Untap, play like a temple, play a three drop. 
And he's like, uh... Next turn, he's like, fetch Lingering Souls. I'm like, okay, end of your turn, Relic you, untap Relic you, so your Lingering Souls is bye-bye. I'm like, uh, attack you, play another three drop, play a second Relic, go. <laughs> <laughs> what? So, uh... Turns out, um... Yeah, he drew all the Bedlam Revelers in his deck that game. And they were never remotely castable. Oh, I, I almost forgot that game one. I got to, um, I got to get in there with my smuggler's copter. Hey, which was protected from all his lightning bolts with my chalice on one. Oh man, the wombo combo there. The value. And, uh, turns out Liliana is uh, inferior to smuggler's copter. <laughs> What's that? He's maybe sack a guy. Oh look, another guy. Oh wait, I have an attacker. But they don't have haste. Copter doesn't care. <laughs> Smugs McGee, man. I also really enjoy the um, the imagining a thought of seer cramming itself into a smuggler's copter. <laughs> it's like watching an <laughs> octopus cram itself through a crack in a wall. <laughs> Just imagine like some tentacles hanging out of the the copter as it's flying in at your opponent. <laughs> bloated, bloated copter. Oh man. Yeah, the mental image of stuff getting into the copter always cracks me up. Put like three like oh we're putting rival master tokens in at one time so we didn't have to like attack like chump attack in with them so we had to keep like store our goblins up it's just like cram three goblins in the next turn cram four goblins in like clown car <laughs> style <laughs> it's like you you can crew it and then you just don't, you don't even have to attack right they yeah. just like hop in like okay we're done <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, what, about, what about you john would you play I played Mardu, uh, Mardu Pyromancer, um, first time taking the just strictly Mardu version of the deck for a spin. I've played the, like, Abomination four-color version with blue before. This is my first time playing the, uh, the just strictly Mardu version. Um, it went okay? Question mark? Uh, I played humans round one. I was like, ah, oh, yes, humans. This should be a pretty good matchup. And uh, I ended up losing a really close game three where I had some issues with mana. So that was unfortunate. Um, and then I played against Amulet the next round. And we ID'd, or not ID'd, we unintentionally drew. Ran out of time, went to turns. Uh, so that was a thing. <laughs> uh, and then I played against Soul Sisters in the third round and won. That matchup taught me how uh, absolutely terrifying, um, I can't remember, the, it's the third Soul Sister, the uh, pro red and black one, Oriok Champion. Oh, Oriok Champion, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, that card is terrifying for Mardu Pyromancer. Yep. You just like have a Pyromancer in play that's like pooping out tokens because you're casting spells and they're just gaining life, like pushing them out of range potentially. It blocks Bedlam Reveler. It attacks through everything except for Lingering Souls. Gotta find them souls. Ugh, yeah. Super quick. Uh, I ended up winning, but man, that card is kind of scary. Uh, and then I played The Mirror, and I got absolutely shit on. <laughs> it was the same guy that Chris had had, uh, had fun with earlier, uh, but this time he was the lucky one. Uh, in one of our games, he drew all four copies of Lingering Souls, um, so that, that's good. That's, uh, that's like the mirror breaker, right? It's like, like pretty whoever, good in the mirror. 
whoever draws uh, the most lingering souls wins. And his sideboard was much, much better suited to the mirror. Um, just way, way better for the mirror. I had very few things to really bring in, and he's like, Hazaret, bunch of combos, like just take out all your all your token producers, take out all your token producers, and play four illness in the ranks. <laughs> I mean, I, I had three ratchet bombs to break in. I think I brought in two, but <laughs> or not ratchet bombs. I'm sorry, engineered explosives. So, oh, yeah. Rapple Master versus Illness in the Ranks. Hmm, mm, seems good. Mm. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I got absolutely trashed. So that was fun. Uh, and then I was been playing the deck online. I've run it through two leagues now. Um, I had a really interesting storm game uh, that I wanted to talk about, where I surgical uh he end of turn gifts and put past and flames in the yard which i surgical and he did not have any other past and flames in his deck this is post board obviously and um so he played an extremely long game i was stuck on two lands for most of the game and i answered every single win con in his deck except very late in the game and I'm, I still had not managed to establish like any kind of real clock. He was like using grape shots as uh, removal, basically. So he's like, uh, kill your pyromancer in two tokens. Like, oh, down a grape shot, and he sticks a Chandra Torch of Defiance, and so he gets it up to seven, and I finally find a, my first faithless looting of the game, and I just looting into a bolt, and I managed to knock it down. And then I basically never find any other way to, like, deal with the Chandra. <laughs> and I lose to Chandra ult when he has, like, two or three cards left in deck. <laughs> and I never saw another Faithful City in the whole game. It was, like, an incredibly long game. Um, so I think I got pretty unlucky to, like, not really find uh, any, like, recurring source of damage... And did not find more faithless lootings, but on the other hand, like I did, like answer everything he was doing except for the Chandra. It was a really weird game. I was definitely never expecting to lose to Chandra out of Storm as like the thing that ended the game. So, yeah, I feel like I probably misplayed somewhere along the line, but I'm not exactly sure where. But that was definitely the most interesting game I've played in a while. Uh, how about you, Stephen? How was your week in Magic? Uh, so I ended up only being able to make it out to one magic event this week, which was modern. I uh, played Amulet. I cut a single... So I've been running Chris's list pretty pretty to the T. Um, but I cut one Tylus Tracker for one Reclamation Stage in the main board. I wanted to uh, kind of just be prepared for Dampening Spear. I've been seeing it pop up pretty pretty frequently and... Just don't want it to be a card that I want to lose to. Uh, I ended up just losing to Blood Moon. <laughs> huh, strange. Speaking of spicy one ofs, you have been outspiced by friend of the podcast Mike this week, who's been playing Chris's redundant copy of Amulet. <laughs> uh, he played a one of main deck Tat Tatyova Benthic Druid new card from Dominaria. Huh. One of the good old uncommon legends of the set. Yeah, you know, five mana, three, three. When a land enters the battlefield under your control, you gain a life and draw a card. That's interesting. How'd it go for him? 
I think he had some absurd situation where he drew a bunch of cards and gained a bunch of life at some so point. He said he when he played it at some other shop on Monday, uh, one game he drew and he gained 16 life and drew 16 cards within one game. Okay. Well, that means you were going to win no matter what. Because the question right? is, why did you draw 16 cards before killing them? But, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah. What is... What a unless, spice ball. Unless I was just over a span of like four turns, right, with uh, whatchamacallit in play. And you just couldn't find any action. What do you mean? Your lands are our action. <laughs> Not always. Not always. So, yeah. From my experience. Anyways. Get out uh, spiced. Yeah, so that is that is pretty spicy. Chris, Chris, what do you think? What do you think about this card? No, thank you. <laughs> All right, solid. Is it because you'll be playing it way too late to get the benefit from it? If you're like getting my... value off of this card, wouldn't you rather this be just like anything else that would have just killed them already? Yeah, definitely. Oh, like, oh, it doesn't get fatal pushed. It's a five drop. Yeah, but it's also a five drop. But I mean, Rurikthar also doesn't get fatal pushed. <laughs> they can try. And and I implore and, that they do. <laughs> legal target. Actual legal target. So, yeah. um, I mean, I don't see why you should play this card over a Tyler's Tracker, if I'm honest. Yeah, that makes sense. Because if you drew 16 cards after your Tyler's Tracker, it's hitting for, what, 19 damage? Yeah. See, you're forgetting the main reason that you play this over a Tyler's Tracker. This is way fucking sweeter. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say the life gain No <laughs> Not a compelling factor for me It is way sweeter however So I'll give it that <laughs> Like might as well play Wake Thrasher Also guaranteed that your opponent Will read it <laughs> <laughs> Guaranteed your opponent will pick it up From your side of the table <laughs> What the fuck does this do But wait you know how Miss Miragorb is really miserable to play against Why don't we just play Wake Thrasher Play land untaps buffs it Wombo combo. Kill you. Ah. <laughs> and you should play a Wake Thrasher as a spicy sideboard card, Chris. It's thrash him real good. End of your turn, tap on my lands. They're like, eh? But why? Quoi? <laughs> Untap. Ah! <laughs> Lol. Can't find it with, uh, with, uh, packs though, right? It has to be green. Correct. <laughs> it must be green. Man, they need to reprint a, uh, a green blue wake thrasher. <laughs> Maybe instead of three mana, they can just make it green blue. Ah! Just give it trample. Yeah, man. Yeah, there you go. That'll do it. <laughs> give it trample. Man, value. Anyways, before we it may, get. It'd be like a four mana one one. Come on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> before we get too far out in the weeds, we should um, come back around to our topic of the week. This week, we're going to be talking about one of my favorite cards in magic the gathering i think it is one of the uh, more skill testing cards which the coast has ever printed that card is uh, cobble therapy uh, it is a black sorcery that costs a single black mana and it says um when uh well it says name a non-land card your uh target player reveals their hand and all copies of the chosen card are discarded uh, it has flashback for sacrifice a creature 
no mana cost involved, which gives it a lot of utility in very strange and friend situations. Um, this card is sweet. <laughs> so one key difference between um, this and Meddling Mage is that Meddling Mage might have value even if you name a card that is not currently in their hand. Because they have opportunities to draw the card you have named and then be sad because their top deck is actually a dead card. Cabal Therapy is not as for, not, is not forgiving like that. Uh, you name the card, it isn't there, the card did literally nothing. Mm-hmm. It was one mana peak, but you don't draw a card. <laughs> Accurate. Yes. On the flip side, though, uh, Therapy gets multiple copies of a card, which I don't think any other discard spell does, correct? Um, not a choosing one, no. Yeah. Um, so, that is... Oh, I guess there is technically, like, him to Torak, yes. Um, mind twist. <laughs> mind twist. Ah, ah cube all-star mind twist. Oh my god. Um, mm, that brings back some good memories. Tasty. But yes, um, so, Therapy has the uh, unique ability to completely ranch your opponent's hand should they have uh, stacked up copies of the same thing floating around. Um, and before we get down into the strategic implications of therapy, there are a few little edge things that are worth mentioning about how the card works. Um, very important part of therapy is you name with therapy on resolution of the spell. So um, if your opponent asks you what you are naming, the spell has resolved, which is very important at competitive Aureal and higher. Um, so if you cast Cobble Therapy and your opponent looks at you, and says yes. What are what are you naming? Uh, it is too late to cast any counter magic, or, or do anything. Brainstorm really. or do anything. It is too late. The ship has already sailed. So um, be mindful of that when playing with and against cobble therapy. Um, if the uh, opposing player uh, asks for confirmation, um, it is resolving. You are now into the naming portion of casting cobble therapy, um, and it is too late for you to interact. Also, Cobble Therapy, uh, you can target yourself, um, much like the card Thoughtseize. Um, and Vendillion Click. And Vendillion Click, you can target yourself, which comes up um, in certain situations. Um, Reanimator, namely, uh, makes good use of that sometimes as a uh, way to fill its graveyard with the uh, its various fatties that it wants to cheat back into play. Um, and I guess it's worth mentioning that this card is uh, only legacy, uh, legal in Legacy Vintage uh, commander type formats. It is not a modern legal card. Uh, it was printed in Judgment. Very strange. That's interesting because Judgment was the set that was very light on uh, black cards. So very, very few black cards in Torment, but one of the few that we got was a huge winner. So what so alright, you're casting Cabal Therapy, right? And it's on it's it's gonna resolve. So at this point, like what how do you determine what you're going to name? So I know in Legacy, one land doesn't usually... It's not like modern. You know, you, your fetch land and your first land doesn't usually uh, doesn't usually point you toward a specific deck. You know, you're you're leading off with, with uh, Scalding Turn, right? And that could literally be 10 different decks in Legacy. So, I mean... Yes I, and no. The, the answer to, to what you should name is, is the same answer for most of these magical questions, which is, it depends. It depends. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, um, yeah, actually, identifying decks in Legacy is actually extremely important, perhaps even more so than Modern, uh, because you can just die in Legacy uh, on, you know, turn two, perhaps. 
Um, there's a lot of very nasty combo decks running around in Legacy, and um, actually being able to identify uh, what your opponent is doing just from their fetch is uh, quite important. Um, but uh, let's say in our scenario where um, your opponent has named, uh, played down perhaps a Scalding Turn, like you said, uh, we first have to establish what deck we're playing, because uh, due to the inherent flexibility of Cobble Therapy, uh, you could be playing it in quite a variety of decks. Um, you could be playing it in a fair deck, or you could be playing it in an unfair deck, and um, the ways in which you employ the card uh, tend to be um, uh, a, uh, a uh, offensively in fair decks and defensively in combo decks. Um, so I guess the easiest place to start with this is uh, in fair decks and using the mm. card. Hmm? I kind of feel like it's the other way around. You're using it aggressively in unfair decks and defensively in fair decks because if when you're the unfair deck you're all you're typically naming sideboard hate or interaction so you're aggressively going after answers for your combo yeah i guess i guess that's my wording on that is a little but yes you're you're using it to defend your combo by proactively taking cards out of their hand so i guess it's how you can kind of flip the wording around either way but yes um so in a fair deck, your goal is to, generally speaking, um, prevent your opponent from uh, doing something nasty if they are a combo deck, or to accrue the maximum amount of value uh, if they are a fair deck. Um, so like we were talking about with Meddling Mage last week, um, in a fair deck in Legacy with Cobble Therapy, you are very frequently trying to um, name cards that you think are going to be in your opponent's hand that would make the hand a, uh, a solid keep. Like, for example, if you're doing it early in the game, uh, a name like Ponder or Brainstorm against a fair deck is a very um, a very fair name, something they're very likely to have in hand, especially if they don't have mana up to Brainstorm, which is a, another can of worms that we will be getting into shortly. So you mentioned that there was... Um... You know, we we let, we've let off with a blue fetch, and or our opponent has let off with a blue fetch, and now we have to pick a card that's usually going to be in their hand. So how do we respond to like, so so with our cabal therapy on the stack, they respond with a brainstorm. Mm-hmm. That obviously narrows the deck selection down to specifically only blue decks and mostly control or combo. So at this point, how do we determine what card to name from there? So I, I think I something that's important that we should um, that I think we should point out is that unlike uh, Meddling Mage and Humans, which is just in the main deck, Cabal Therapy is very frequently a sideboard card in Legacy. Mm-hmm. So the the mystery of what deck my opponent is playing is not something that comes up as often as say Meddling Mage does. So if Especially they land for the fair decks. Right, so if they open on, like, Polluted Delta into Underground Sea into Ponder, that could be, like, one of, you know, a many different Legacy decks. But if you're bringing in Therapy out of the board, you know pretty much exactly what your opponent's already going to be playing. Okay. Unless you just killed them on turn one or something because you're the reanimator deck or something, right? Sure. <clears throat> but, um... You probably saw their hand in that case anyways. <laughs> yeah, so, like, the... the there's a couple of decks that do play therapy main deck, but I think um, the majority of the decks packing, uh, packing therapy are, are in out of the board. I would assume that the ones that play it in the main board, usually, uh, I, I think from what I've experienced is, is decks that can 
abuse the flashback cost, correct? So decks with yeah. Young Pyromancer, so that you're casting it twice in the same turn. So your fair decks that play therapy are generally going to be decks of Pyromancer or Nickfit, um, and your unfair decks are going to be um, like Ad Nauseam Tendrils, Reanimator, and Dredge are the are the big decks. And then it also sees sideboard play in decks like Elves and um, basically anything that can dip into black that's worried about playing against combo. Like Check Pile or something. Mm -hmm. It's always an option out of the board for those decks. Okay. So now that we've had... Okay, so it's sideboard. We're playing against a combo deck, right? How, what, like, do we name the combo pieces or do we name the the enablers do we name like the search cards it's kind of like a crapshoot right um i think it's not entirely a crapshoot um there's stages of methodology here so if your hand has no other ways to interact with the combo you have to either decide whether you think they have it or they don't have it if let's say it's very early in the game and you think they haven't had enough setup time yet and they don't have it and you are your goal is to present a clock and you know quickly start beating them down you can take the line of taking um enablers or stuff like uh ponder or brainstorm it's going to help them set up however if you think they have had enough time to set up or are they on a particularly quick combo deck you are highly incentivized to name part of what's going to kill you because you could just die and so I guess the flip side of that is playing against a non-combo deck is that you just want to name anything that you lose to. It depends. It depends, again, on what stage of the game you're at. You're at. I mean, your, your decisions also are heavily influenced by the deck that you are personally playing. <clears throat> so as an Elves player, my Cabal Therapies are almost always trying to come in to combat the unfair decks, like Storm. And so my Therapies are always going to be either trying to take out their ability to set up or take out their ability to get off the ground by naming um, mana cards like Lion's Eye Diamond or Lotus Petal or something like this. Um, <clears throat> whereas, John, when you're playing Grixis, the cards that you're concerned about hitting with therapy are much different than the ones that I might be with, with elves. Frequently, right. yes. Um, we have ways to interact with spells on the stack, so we have a little bit more luxury in how we choose to go after cards with therapy. And we also, in Delver decks, gain access to Gataxian Probe, which makes Cobble Therapy a much less fair card. Um, Gataxian Probe basically <laughs> being a peak um, lets you know exactly what's in your opponent's hand going into the therapy. And at that point, you ha- have uh, complete information over what basically wrecks their hand the most. So you know whether they have it or don't have it. You know if they have multiples of a card. And so at that point, it frequently becomes you first answer the threat if they are going to kill you or end the game. That's your first party. If they're not presenting that, then you go for either taking the most number of cards out of their hands or taking the most crucial um, enabler out of their hand, whether it's a, uh, something like uh, a ponder or a um, infernal tutor, um, you, you know, it depends from situation to situation. But um, if they don't have the card that's going to kill you, um, you get a lot more flexibility in that situation. But I think the blind names are much more interesting, obviously, because um, you can kind of reduce um, names when you know their hand to a, a pretty uh, 
pretty simple formula of don't lose the game and then get the most, you know, get maximum value after that. Um, but I think the blind names are much more interesting. Uh, and so, as we mentioned earlier, uh, Cobble Therapy has its flashback mode for the low, low price of sacrificing one of your creatures. Uh, very handy when you have a young pyromancer laying around or a uh, elf that's not doing too much heavy lifting at the moment in Chris's situation. Drydarp was also a um, likely candidate. <laughs> volunteered for turn your fetch land into a cabal therapy um, seems good <laughs> fetch um, reads but pay yeah, one life sacrifice play cabal therapy <laughs> you don't always necessarily flash it back the turn you play it um the first time so um very frequently you will actually um have partial information about their hand when you cast the back half of therapy which at that point you have to really weigh your options between going after a known card in their hand or going after a card that they could perhaps have drawn. And what that comes down to is making the decision if, of whether you want to pair uh, therapy for value or if you want to go after the card you're scared of. So um, when playing against a combo deck very frequently, if um, you have the ability to close out the game, um, it is generally wise to uh, picture in your mind uh, the card that you are most scared of, uh, and then name that. <laughs> in your mind's eye. In your mind's eye. Just picture, clearly picture the card that scares you the most, and then name that. Rest in peace. <laughs> <laughs> Past in flames. <laughs> so, I mean, like, I don't have a ton of uh, experience playing with Cabal Therapy, uh, as it is just a sideboard card out of the Elf deck. And um, most of the time, it's just coming in against uh, decks like Storm, where, you know, uh, maybe I'll name Lion's Eye Diamond. If I hit, I can buy a turn or two that I need. And if I miss, then sometimes I just die on the spot. But uh, I think maybe the most interesting experience I've had with Cabal Therapy was in the top four of the PTQ in Seattle, where I was playing against Sneak and Show. And I, it's game three, and... I have a, I believe it, a turn one um, therapy, and I'm on the play, turn one blind therapy, and my opponent mold is six. And I think it wasn't just because it missed that it was the wrong name, but I uh, I named Show and Tell because it's the card I was most afraid of. I was afraid of getting just destroyed by turn one Lotus Petal, Ancient Tomb, Show and Tell in my Emrakul, GG get good scrub. Right, because my hand was very weak to a, a like a an early show and tell. I, I my hand wasn't very fast. It wasn't very combo oriented. It was just kind of yeah, a therapy and some random elves, and so I, I named the card I was most afraid of. But the fact that he mulled the six probably should have incentivized me to name cantrips, because the cantrips are what's really going to help him dig out of his. You know, being down on cards. So his card quantity is lower. So if he has cantrips to help build up his card quality, then he can sort of kind of get back into the, the game a little bit easier. Um, obviously, I got to see his hand for my flashback therapy, but I didn't end up flashing it back till about maybe four turns later into the game, at which point he played almost all the cantrips that his hand was full of. Um, and I think that when I flashback my therapy, he brainstormed in response, which made me... Uh, which made it a really hard decision. So uh, earlier in the match, I had punted playing therapy 
I um, thought that Brainstorm could put back three cards and when in fact could only put back two. So I knew his hand contained Double Sneak Attack Grizzlebrand and um, stupid me um, forgot that. And so had I just named Sneak Attack, I would have guaranteed to hit the one that he left in his hand because he put back Sneak Attack Grizzlebrand. And then I would have had one more turn because he'd have to draw Grizzlebrand and then the second Sneak Attack. But in any case... Uh, so I was thinking about that, and I ultimately decided that if he had a way to sneak in a big dumb idiot, he would have hit it. Um, because in the previous games, I'd always, even earlier in that game, I had always been naming the card that puts the big fat creature into play. So he may be thinking that that's my line of thinking. I'm just always going to name the the thing the cheaty spell, if you will. So I figured to go ahead and name the fatty itself, Grizzlebrand. Because if I if you have Grizzlebrand in your hand, and I hit, then you're drawing these super dead cheaty spells, and nothing's happening. <clears throat> and it's late enough in the game that I don't believe that he has a bunch of cantrips left in his hand. And he hasn't really played anything else. So we, I figured he has to be either waiting for a fatty, or a way to put the fatty into play. And maybe he had both, but didn't have the, the mana to, to implement them, so I... I went ahead and named Grizzlebrand, and I hit. He had a Grizzlebrand. His hand at that point, I think, was like um, like Lotus Petal, Grizzlebrand, and uh, Graftdigger's Cage. Bins Grizzlebrand. Next turn, he untaps, draws his card, kind of shrugs, and plays the sneak attack that he put on top of his deck. So I was pretty, pretty happy about that one. <clears throat> I mean, I had to get lucky for him to not draw another threat ever again. But, you know, had I named the wrong card, I just would have died instantly. So Yeah. yeah. So I mean, like, what do you what do you think about that? Like, if you establish a pattern, right? These are the cards I'm I'm typically going to naming be naming, and then your opponent reacts to that. Yeah, the uh, the interplay between cobble therapy and brainstorm is a very interesting mini game. <laughs> um, is I mean, I know Stephen loves mind games, right? Yeah, this is my favorite. <laughs> uh, I am not uh, a big uh, mental magic player, I guess. And I don't know if that's the right term, but I'm uh, I, do, I do not play the bluffing game very much. But uh, this is definitely a a huge opportunity for those types of mental games if you're opponent personally i tend to name cantrips very frequently with cards like therapy um, because they are extremely likely to end up still in your opponent's hand uh, i think most people naturally uh, lean towards hiding the cards they're scared of losing on top of the deck uh, and generally it's only people who are trying to be clever that leave the the cards they're scared of losing in their hand they're trying to like next level you um but like chris uh kind of cut on to um you can abuse that if you notice that there's a pattern there right because you do see the hand with with therapy on resolution and if you notice that there's always uh some some action hanging out in there after the brainstorm that's uh perhaps a way to go but uh i tend to favor at least at the start almost always going after the cantrips in the in the blue combo matchups but I don't know, like on turn, say, five or six or something, after they've cast two brainstorms and a ponder, like, I don't know. Well, if they're I brainstorming... Feel like naming, I feel like at that point, naming more cantrips seems unlikely. If they've brainstormed in response, um, I think it's not unlikely that they've hit, drawn into more cantrips. Um, but also, I guess, you know, in that situation, uh, naming, uh, if you have more permission... Like uh, counterspell-based permission, uh, naming their counterspells is not bad in that situation either. Stripping their ability to interact with uh, your permission when they attempt to combo off 
the next turn is also pretty pretty solid. I guess again because you're you're a permission you if you're playing a permission based deck, you only have to care about the cheaty spells, mm -hmm. the sneak attack, the show and tell. Whereas I have to worry about both. Yeah. I can't just say you can have a Grizzlebrand because your show and tell is never going to resolve. Yeah. If you play a show and tell, it's gonna happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the uh so I kind of have to pick one side to leave you stranded in your hand. Either ways to f tr uh, sneak in a fatty or a fatty. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> you can have as many of one of those two as you want. It's when you have both that, that it's it's real bad for me. Yeah, I guess playing against stuff like sneak attack is a little scary in that situation because um, eventually you, you lose the ability to interact with discard against uh, that. Because if they resolve a sneak attack, then any fatty off the top just kills you basically and you never have a, uh, a window or an opportunity to interact with it at sorcery speed um so maybe that's a point in favor of going after sneak attack but show intel gets you a lot of the time too it's tricky <laughs> i guess it's funny because i think i think most of the show intel players really kind of shy away from show intel post board mm -hmm. um because there's some number of people who board in just big dumb idiots like Oh, I have a random Emrakul on my sideboard just for you show-and-tell people. Like, I don't know. People do that. <clears throat> I mean, from the elf deck, it's kind of scary, right? If they're playing Damnition's version, or even if they're just sneak putting a sneak attack in with their show-and-tell, and I put a Reclamation Sage, like, they look kind of stupid, right? Like, especially if they didn't have mana up for their activating on their sneak. So if they just, like, tap out on turn two, like, oh, here's a show-and-tell. I put an Omniscience. I put a Rex Sage. Oh, yeah, the Rex Sage they just, like, hemorrhage so many cards to get nowhere. Yeah. Alternatively, the Rex Sage looks real bad against a Gristlebrand, though. <laughs> but, I mean, you can't win them all. Especially when you're not playing Permission, so. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know how I'm supposed to beat a turn two Gristlebrand. Like, ever. Turn one Cobble <laughs> Therapy. <laughs> That's basically it, right? Yeah. So as we've kind of alluded to, there um, are a variety of different ways to play Cobble Therapy based on um, what deck you are playing. Um, so uh, I guess we can kind of go through, uh, in order of popularity, some of the decks in Legacy which play Cobble Therapy and kind of, kind of how they generally tend to use the card. So I think the deck that most commonly in the format plays Therapy is Grixis Delver. Um, it sometimes sees play in the main deck and... Uh, almost always sees play at least in the sideboard so in the average 75 for grixis delver you will almost always find uh some number of copies of couple therapy usually two to three and uh in grixis delver uh, couple therapy is used in conjunction with uh, gataxian probe and young pyromancer to uh accumulate large amounts of value against your opponent <laughs> Um, with a pyromancer in play casting a therapy will make a token which can then be handily fed to the back half of therapy which poops out its own token so you end up ahead of token and your opponent ends down at least uh two selections worth of cards um the back end hopefully hitting since you had knowledge of their hand uh and the front half hopefully hitting because you have made a informed and wise decision based on what you think your opponent was playing um very frequently with uh grixis delver uh i like naming cards that are extremely likely to be in my opponent's hand on the front half and on the back half i go after um something a little bit more targeted based off of my knowledge from the first look um 
post-board, the card does not usually come in against fair decks, um, since you are uh, generally ending up in kind of a, uh, almost like a mid-range grind fest against a lot of fair decks, and the um, common thinking of taking out discard in mid-rangey mirrors holds true still, even though you can get a lot of value off of therapy, uh, and it's generally reserved more for the combo matchups where you um, need to proactively interact against your opponent because a lot of the uh, combo decks in the format run their own discards. So they can preemptively strip their uh, your counterspells out of your hand and leave you uh, unable to interact with them on their turn. So um, aggressively using therapy to uh, kind of dismantle their hand or limit their options to interact with you uh, on your turn are very important because... Um, you can feel like you have a very solid hand of uh, your force of will and days, and uh, your opponent will simply duress your force of will and then play around days, and you will lose. <laughs> and you will die. And you will die. Um, uh, the next deck that we've just alluded to that um, frequently plays couple therapy is uh, Ant or Ad Nauseam Tendrils, which is a combo deck that uh, plays therapy main deck to supplement uh, its copies of Duress. Uh, and a uh, ants player is generally speaking trying to strip instant speed removal or uh, afterboard disruptive permanence out of your hand or um, if you are um, failing to establish a clock against them they will sometimes go after your uh, card selection to prevent you from finding a threat um, which gives them a much larger number of turns to set up their combo and makes them uh, much more likely to successfully uh, combo off and kill you. Uh, Chris, how has your experience been playing against uh, Ad Nauseam Tendrils with uh, their therapies against you? How do they generally attack you with their therapies? Um, so therapies against elves are kind of interesting. Uh, from the storm side of things, they almost exclusively will name... Um, Cards that kill them relief quickly, so Glimpse of Nature or um, Natural Order. Because if I get to resolve a Natural Order on turn 2 or 3 and put a Rook Throne into play, it becomes incredibly difficult for them to win. So they just want to make sure that's not a thing that's allowed to happen. So, uh, in general, Storm is incredibly favored against Elves, and the games that they lose are when they're too slow in setting up, and they just get Natural Ordered on turn 3 or glimpsed on turn two or three. So they're almost exclusively naming those one of those two cards to stay stay alive just long enough. So in uh in, in that matchup you are almost uh in in a in a way uh I don't wanna say I guess you are you are the beat down in that matchup and they're the control technically speaking, right? <laughs> as far as, as interaction goes, would you say, or yeah, I, I feel like it's a little bit strange from the elf side because um, most elf lists are packing six to seven, sometimes even, if you're, if you're really hateful, a full eight um, discard spells to come in uh, post-board specifically for these kinds of matchups. Mm -hmm. um, so you just have a pile of thought seizes and cabal therapies to try and slow, da, slow down your, your storm opponents. So you're so, both ripping into those hands apart with your discard, basically. Yeah, so the <laughs> thing is, like, post-board, um, your glimpse of natures usually aren't very good. Um, because your deck has much less uh, elf volume than it used to. Because you have to cut something for all this discard. And your deck is basically just lands and elves, so 
you have to end up cutting uh, some number of elves. Um, the most uh, likely cut is um, Elvish Visionary, as it's a two-mana elf and therefore slow. <laughs> but um, it's, yeah, so you are the beatdown deck because you have to play the creatures to, to kill them as quickly as you can. But you're still kind of controlling. I mean, you're, you're not like a true aggro deck where you just say, well, I'm going to try and race you. I mean, you, you, you try to interact as much as you can with your discard. And it's, it's hard because if you're spending your early turns on um, discard, you're not really applying a lot of pressure. So I think the, 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 best, the best hands probably open up on a, maybe a, a death right on turn one or a nettle sentinel perhaps to get the, the damage going. Mm-hmm. And then a bunch of discard from there on out um, into a natural order for a, a hoof to finish them. So would you say in, in this kind of uh, cobble therapy mirror that uh, being on the player of the draw makes a, a huge difference in who's kind of playing as the beatdown versus the control? Yeah, I mean, you you almost never want to be on the draw ever in Legacy, right? I mean, yeah. but <laughs> I guess it's even more important here because sometimes you're keeping hands on the strength of your sideboard cards, on the strength of your thought seize or whatever. And if you're on the draw and they just duress your thought seize, then... Maybe you're just left with a really bad hand that doesn't do anything. Mm-hmm. So if you get to start, right? If you play your discard spell first, you can take an action spot of theirs and just leave them with their with their thoughtsies or duress or whatever, because you've already played the spell that you really wanted to to cast out of your hand, the spell that you really cared about. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and aside from Ant, there's a couple other decks that um, use. Uh, cobble therapy in increasingly novel ways compared to these uh, two decks that are using it uh, much more traditionally as kind of a point and shoot hand disruption tool um, reanimator uh, although it still does use cobble therapy in a um, disruptive manner um, will very frequently actually therapy itself to put uh, reanimation targets into the graveyard um, much the same way as uh, reanimation uh, reanimator decks in other formats sometimes use uh, thought seize to target both their opponents and themselves um therapy obviously uh still benefits from um its disruptive nature um by hitting multiple cards of your opponent's hand so it can clear away multiple copies of let's say force of will which is a very relevant card for a reanimator player trying to go off early um and it also can set up um you know the uh the one or two perhaps crystal brands that you have in your hand if you have multiple copies it's uh, obviously uh, very frequently beneficial to put multiple copies into the yard because um, sometimes you do actually have to cast a second reanimation spell after they uh, perhaps swords to plowshares or, or deal with your first fatty in some manner um, so the games that you are not winning by putting the first fatty into play you will definitely need a second and being able to uh, efficiently put multiple copies into the graveyard of a card at the same time can be really beneficial um, also very uh, good to have in post-board games for uh, aggressively going after uh, hateful permanents your opponents might be playing like Rust in Peace, Grafdigger's Cage, uh, etc. And uh, in a similar vein, um, Dredge is another graveyard deck that is looking to uh, sometimes target itself with Cobble Therapy. Um, Dredge obviously is attempting to put cards with the keyword Dredge into its own graveyard and uh, cobble therapy uh, suits that need quite nicely, but another aspect of Dredge's use of cobble therapy that a lot of decks don't 
also go after is uh, Dredge very frequently wants to kill its own creatures to put tokens into play off of its copies of Rich from Below. And um, Cobble Therapy does that very nicely, uh, sacrificing a Narc Amoeba or an Icarid to your Cobble Therapy uh, can net you a large number of tokens uh, while disrupting your opponent's hand at the same time, which would be quite nice. And sometimes when you're when you're doing that, like you're just therapying to get some zombie tokens into play, you don't even care what you're naming. No. Right. <laughs> right. Your your opponent's hand might be empty, and you still want a therapy just so you can get some zombies. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, a very different use of the card compared to uh, what some other decks do, um, but still has a uh, great potential in the post board games for uh, you know, picking off uh, just a grandimeter that that graveyard hate that you're very afraid of uh, after your opponent's had a. An, chance to go and uh, go into the well and look at the sideboard and the uh the last deck that frequently plays uh main deck therapy uh is also actually looking to benefit from the sacrifice effect on the card and that's uh nick fit a deck that uh uses the card veteran explorer which is a uh, a one mana one two i believe that uh when it hits the graveyard uh both players can go and put two basic lands from their decks into play untapped uh, since the basic land count in the average legacy deck is somewhere around zero, Nick Fit benefits uh, pretty asymmetrically from that. Um, so you uh, get to uh, shred your opponent's hand a little bit while also ramping yourself, which is uh, very uh, nice for getting ahead and uh, playing some of the um, overcosted, for legacy at least, uh, mid range fatties that Nick Fit decks like to uh, cram themselves full of. Nothing like getting Thrag Test in Legacy. <laughs> so, do you think the average uh, land count, basic land count in Legacy is less than one? No, I don't think it's less than one, but I think it's close to it. Um, there are a lot of decks that have zero basics, but um, the Storm decks of the format and the Miracle uh, deck and um, Check Pile, I think, I think right now we're actually at a a high point that we've been in a while for basics in the format, right? Um, check pile miracles and then the um, the storm combo decks actually tend to have at least um, a couple basics. Um, but a lot of the uh, delver type decks uh, that are a large portion of the format and the uh, stompy decks, uh, aside from moon stompy uh, or dragon stompy, I guess as it's called frequently, um, don't have any basics at all. Although Moon Stompy uh, is a um, a resurgent force in the metagame that has a lot of basics as well. So um, I don't know. We have to average that out. I think actually it might be it might be closer to the one to two range, even though it very frequently does not feel like that. I guess elves also uh, packed yeah, full elves of like basics. A two, a two basic deck. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think elves plays a lot less basics than people might normally uh, think. Expect yeah pretty decent i think most decks and in, in the top decks in the format have a, have a, a small number of basics but um Crixus delver is a very large portion of the format which does not run any basics <laughs> because like we, we have established you know therapy is a very difficult card to play this is a known thing cool um yeah. what you name changes it depends what the correct name is duh <laughs> but it's heavily influenced by what you're playing against obviously but also what you are playing Unlike Meddling Mage in Modern, um, Meddling Mage is almost exclusively played in the human deck. So the question of what deck I'm playing is 
always the same. In Legacy, that's very much not the case. There's tons of decks that are playing Cabal Therapy. And so the types of cards you're trying to go after with your therapy are um, sometimes not so different and sometimes vastly different, depending on what you're playing. Like, I think the combo decks are, um, the vast majority of the time, just naming Force of Will. Right? They're just naming the thing that is most likely to stop them from comboing. And once it's, even if it's not there, even if they miss, it's fine. Because that means the coast is clear. Like, when they cast a therapy, like, especially game one, like, if Storm cast therapy game one, and aims Force of Will, after that spell resolves, they're almost guaranteed to be able to go off completely, you know, unmolested. Whereas you, playing Rixus Delver, maybe you're playing Rixus you know, Therapies in the main, for whatever reason, um, you know, the therapies you name are going to be fundamentally different yeah. than those played by Ant. Especially against Faradex Game 1. It's very uh, where you are in the game dependent, right? Like, are you trying to protect a single Delver and desperately trying to cut off removal spells? Or are you trying to prevent them from um, finding, uh, you know, uh, their... Baleful Strix or Gurmog Angler or Jace the Mind Sculptor or whatever. You know, maybe you feel your opponent's just trying to hit lands. So you want to cut yeah. off as many cantrips as possible to just narrow down the ability they have yeah. to find mana. Very frequently, I think, against Faradex, you are trying to get the most cards possible. You are going for the card you are, I think they are most likely to have duplicates of. Because it is a slugfest in the fair mirrors on terms of card advantage, um, and if you can't guarantee that you're going to um, get ahead in card advantage, like getting multiple cards, you want to win on card quality. Excuse me, uh, and I think that's where going after the cantrips comes in, because since card advantage is so hard to come by, um, card quality is how you're going to win the game. And cutting off that avenue for them can be really devastating. Um, if they don't have access to Brainstorm, and you do, they're going to have a bunch of lands and trash in their hand, and you're going to have gas, gas, gas. So um, that's really nice. And um, you want to try to make sure that you hit on the front side, so you obviously want to go up to the thing that's most likely to be in their hand. That way you're at least even on cards. And then later, once you have like a Pyromancer token or something laying around that's not getting any use... Um, then you can cash it in for another card or you know at least have a go at getting another card um, which then puts you ahead on card advantage right um, even if the card that you get isn't particularly amazing it's something they could have turned into a better card with a brainstorm um, and that about brings us to our final segment of today slot of the week we tell you what card we are totally hyped to put in our 75 this week Chris we'll start with you well, uh, at, as per the repeated uh, suggestions from uh, another well-known player who's recently been playing a lot of Amulet himself, despite the uh, abundance of moons, um, is Academy Ruins in the old Amulet deck. Uh, it's a land, so it fits. It's on theme. <laughs> and with Academy Ruins, you can do some pretty sweet stuff. Um, there's some decks that really just don't like getting engineered explosive every single turn of the game. Accurate. Um, there's also decks that don't like you casting a walking blister every turn of the game either. 
Because um, typically they think, oh, I, I've answered this walking bliss, so I don't have to worry about it again. Well, actually, you do, and next time it's going to be a little bit bigger than it was before. Just um, buy his back amulets, too. Yeah, uh, this is a thing, a thing that can happen, but often, probably, I would imagine, yeah. is not very frequent. I mean, that's like post-board, right? Like, oh, I just need amulet to win. Good thing I played it on turn one and they destroyed it on turn two. Good thing. <laughs> I mean... I guess that could be a thing, but uh, yeah, I, 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 from playing against Walking Blista, right? Um, I feel like if the card's good against you, if they have a second one, it's disaster. Right? It's just, <laughs> yeah. it's just a total disaster. And the thing is with Walking Blista, it's really easy to put it in the graveyard to replay it for bigger. Yeah. Accurate. <laughs> and you know, turn like, oh, counters. <laughs> like yeah, I'm gonna because typically you're like I'm gonna do this play to force my opponent to spend counters. Right, and then I don't have to deal with it anymore because it's going to be either dead or not enough counters. Well, here it is, back at it again. End of turn, remove five counters to your face. So not Uh, only can you tutor for walking blister, you can also just keep playing it over and over and over and over again. Activate, put on top of my deck. Draw. Yeah, what are you going to do? Path it. Play for ten. Pass. Remove all the counters. Remove ten counters. Put it back on top. Seems like, what if you're playing blue-white, right? And your opponent has a cavern on Construct and an Academy Ruins and a Blista. Like, how do you win? You how don't. on earth do you win? You don't. You just lose. Like, oh, I hope I spreading seas is... I don't know, cavern or ruins or something. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, I do not currently own a um, foil copy of this land. So, you have um, it signed! Ah! Yeah. <laughs> I have to play a filthy non-foil copy for uh, um, this coming week. When you get a foil copy, you can trade me your signed copy. Hey, there you go. <laughs> I'll actually. Uh, so if I get a foil copy, I'll actually own no more Academy Ruins than I know what to do with. Because <laughs> turns out I bought the signed Academy Ruins because I couldn't find my other one. I thought I traded it away, and then I found it. <laughs> uh, so I now have two non-foil Academy Ruins. One is signed, one is not, and uh, yeah. Uh, so what about what about you, Steven? What's your slot of the week? My slot of the week is a card that I used to play with back in the good old Eldrazi winter times. It was an MVP card. Uh, blocked a Reality Smasher real good, especially when it was on one of my Indestructible lands. Uh, if you haven't guessed what card it is, it is Insult Artifact. It's an enchantment, blue and one. You... Enchant target artifact, and the artifact's base power and toughness becomes 5 5. Uh, is really good to put on Dark Seal Citadel, is really good to put on Ornithopter, it's really good to put on anything else because um, something really cool about this card is that it doesn't change any of the text on the card except for just the power and toughness. So my Vault Scourge now becomes a 5 5 flying lifelink creature. That's champion real good. Womp womp. Not really. It's got protection, right? Yeah, it has protection from all <laughs> colors. Yeah, so oddly enough, you can, you can equip it. You're not equip it. You can enchant it, right? You have a 5 5 champion. But then the second you play a third artifact, the soul artifact just falls off. falls off. <laughs> it just, like, de-levels as, like, like mid, mid getting, mid combat, you, like, activate a land, it just goes... Meow. Seems kind of like a flavor fail. I don't know. 
Uh, but yeah, I'll be trying it out. I have been wanting to test out this list of affinity that runs the zero drop indestructible artifact from Innistrad block. It's it's just literally an artifact that's zero, and it says this artifact is an in, is indestructible. You mean dark steel relic? D yeah, dark steel yeah. relic. Dark steel relic ah. from dark steel. Like, yeah, <laughs> no, that's not dark steel. It's from Innistrad, isn't it? No. From Innistrad. Why on earth would it be from Innistrad? Darksteel is a Mirrodin thing. It is definitely from Darksteel. I don't know why I thought it was from... Weird. Okay, it's from like it was from Scars of Mirrodin or something. It wasn't from the original Mirrodin no. block. Yeah, I think it's a new print, but yeah. Sorry, new Phyrexia. There's also... That's Dark, what I meant isn't there say. like a Darksteel mutation or something like that? Darksteel mutation. Like turns like... I think it's from a supplemental product. Um... Commander 13, yeah, 2013, yeah. Enchanted creature, yeah. An There's insect an artifact creature with base, power, and toughness 0-1 has indestructible, loses all other abilities, card types, and creature types. Oh, yeah, yeah. I have this deck in my, uh, in my, in my Enchantress deck. Yes. You know what my ultimate EDH dream is? Huh. <laughs> Beating Come me? To, to equip a Darkstreet Gargoyle <laughs> with a World Slayer. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> that That's all I want. That's, a that's goal. all I want from this format. Why a Darksteel Gargoyle? Because it doesn't die to the World Slayer, obviously. You can play a Darksteel Brute. It's cheaper. Ah. But it doesn't fly. Anyway. Why is the flying relevant? It has to get in there with the World Slayer. Oh, my oh, God. Gotcha. Anyways, John, what do you, what's your slot of the week? My slot of the week is... Leyline of the Void. Um... A lot of people play this card in Mardu Pyromancer. Uh, I've been trying a more um, spell-oriented approach uh, with um, Rakdos Charm and Surgical Extraction and uh, a couple of Nihil Spell Bombs. Uh, but uh, I want to try the super punishing Leyline of the Void option instead. Uh, being able to start the game with it in play is obviously quite backbreaking to some of the graveyard decks, um, but you pay the price of them obviously being terrible top decks later in the game uh and not actually exiling anything after the fact so um you really kind of have to have it right away or not at all um but um i want to try it i'm trying to kind of um sample all the various options main deck and sideboard with marty pyromancer um to try to prepare for the pptq season so i'm really interested to see how this performs for me this week and that about wraps us up for today. Thank you very much for checking us out and sticking around till the very end. If you're wondering where you can find more content from us, you can head over to mtgconflicts.com. And if you want to find us on Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube under the same name, mtgconflicts, one word. And if you have any suggestions or comments that you'd like us to read, please feel free to shoot us a message on one of those platforms. Again, we really do appreciate you sticking around to the very end, and we hope you'll join us in the next one. Later. Later.